0: Welcome to the very 169th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast that's this time about board games. I'm Tom Brewster, and today I'm joined by two board games
1: Ava Foxworth. I am a deck builder with heavy economic elements.
2: And Matthew Lees. I play one to eight, but I'm best with two. <laughs> It's true. It's true.
0: (laughs) It's just true. Like, you're the sidereal confluence duel, and Ava is Arkwright's legacy, Clank art clank legacy
1: <laughs> i feel insulted now and matt came up with a much cleverer thing than me because he had slightly more time to think about it
0: my brain is like rapidly cycling through uh j- ideas that i'm just immediately junking like i'm a dice game no not good enough i'm hans of too no no that's not good enough i'm a negotiation game but with uh, less racist theming than chinatown no put that in the bin put it in the bin and i'm struggling you're I'm a struggling, bonanza guys. expansion right oh no <laughs> That's, that's what I'm you the are. worst kind of board game.
1: No, it's the best. I feel like the worst thing you could call someone would be, you know you're a bit of a push-your-luck game, right? <laughs> 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 so I was going to say it to you, but I was like, no, I'm not going to say that because that, that's not fair. That's not fair.
2: I'm still thinking about the fact that uh, Tom kind of, maybe by accident said Arkwright Legacy Clank Edition or something, <laughs> and I'm now imagining a game in which you have to <laughs> go into a layer, get loads of Victorian children to make you silverware, and then escape. Quickly. <laughs> and I mean that sounds absolutely fabulous. Rapid um,
0: spoon collection as fast yeah. as humanly possible.
2: Get out before they discover that you've been using hundreds of children as a workforce and that send a <laughs> uh, dragon after you.
0: Uh, on this podcast, we're not gonna send children or dragons after or help with anyone. We're gonna talk about three games. We're gonna talk about Town Builder covorden a game about presumably building a town we haven't talked about what this game is at all and i don't what's even know what's that game about what's that game it right vorden you like to know we're <laughs> <laughs> gonna talk about welcome to the moon a game about doing welcome to on the moon and we're going to talk about equinox a game all about forgetting about animals hit it
1: let's go I had a chance while we were over in Philadelphia for PAX Unplugged to pick up a game that we didn't play at the time, but I have played now called Town Builder Coevorden, which is possibly not a good name for a game, but Coevorden's a real place in uh, Dutch land, which isn't called that. That is actually secretly the name for the place where our convention happens, right? The origins of it is because someone from Coevorden could be called Van Coevorden which is Vancouver. But this game isn't about Vancouver, so that's just a massive digression. This is a game about building towns, and I'm really annoyed that it doesn't have the name The Great Dutchish Town Off, because that's what it is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The absolutely absurd conceit that this game sits in is that you are part of a town-building competition, an event that has been organised to challenge people to build the best Dutch town they can. Uh, With kind of the implication that Covorden is either like a weird hotbed of of medieval experimentalism or is uh, an absolute hodgepodge of things that's obviously been designed by different things. I didn't find out that in my research, but I do want to visit now, which is weird. This is a game by Eric Rowe of First Fish Games. And I was surprised at how much I liked it. It is very very light and simple while still having a little bit of crunch to it the game happens with a small market of cards in the middle and on your turn you can either buy cards to build them to set them as a foundation which just puts it in front of you ready to be built later on or you can hide a card in your treasury which means you've got money that will actually allow you to take cards that are slightly fancier from the middle row because some of them have a money cost or you will be able to take a card as resources um, which is the things you need to turn your foundations into actual buildings. It's cards that, cards it, cards. That, that's it. It's cards 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 and it's got this lovely thing so a thing you might know about me is I love a multi-use cards um and I particularly love it when Like, you rotate the cards into different orientations to do different things. So it's like a card on this side is a foundation, so you can see what needs to be built at the top. A card that way around is a resource or some money, and so it has to be that way around. And then you turn it upright, and then you can read the text and see what it actually does. And all of those processes are happening, and you do two actions a turn, plus a bonus action, if you've built a building that's got a bonus action. And i saw this i understood the game within moments and i was like this is either going to be really boring or okay slash maybe even great depending on how tight those cards are how interesting the combos are a lot of nebulous factors that are the things that we kind of have to assess when we're looking at a game yeah
2: yeah i mean i think the the multi-card use excitement vector is is huge right it's Mm. Uh, discovering for the first time that Gloomhaven cards have three things on them that's right, a thing on the top, a thing on the bottom and then finally, a number in the middle was just, uh, what? Uh, and then obviously that's wasn't the first time i would ever seen more than two things on a card, but crikey, since then uh, I'm looking for it everywhere the sky's the limit, right? Cryo got me really excited with that, of being like, you have it this way it's this, you have it this way, it's this, you have it this way, it's this and yet, I didn't think that was interesting at all, so pray tell Ava,
1: what What's the vibe? The vibe is simple, solid, reliable, fun, not world-changing. Like, the problem with this is, right, as soon as you say multi-use cards, you're tucking things under other things and you're rotating them in different ways so that they mean different things, I'm thinking of Carl Chudik and I'm thinking of ridiculously overpowered powers and, like ludicrously like wow you can do this and now you're breaking all of the rules of the game apart from that one but that one is going to enable you to make so many points that your opponent is crying and they don't understand what's going on sorry this is absolutely not that no one is crying in corvoden it's got that like classic medieval pastoral theming it's doesn't put a whole lot of um, effort into making things be like deeply thematic so much as just like oh yeah that might be a place where someone lives so we're going to call it residential but it is tight and smooth in a way that I just found so enjoyable and I realized that like one of the things uh, we've talked a lot about how playing games online um, and doing things uh, during the pandemic has made it much more likely to make you favor a big, crunchy, heavy thing. And it's made me realize that one of the things that I haven't been getting isn't like the simple dice chuckers or the silly social deduction games. It's the mellow, kickback and put some cards in front of you build a little engine everything's done in half an hour 40 minutes you've done some stuff it's been pleasurable and you can just put it aside it's the filler thing it's the opener thing this is a gentle little time you can have for a bit this is something you could play with someone who's never played a board game before um but still enjoy it on your own uh, one of the people i was playing with was like i want to know how this game fares on a caravan holiday in the rain <laughs> when there's two of you and yep. you're stuck and this is the only game you have but you're just going to play it to death and then you'll never play it again but you will always remember it. Um, Which is possibly me sounding like it's a, 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 this game is a lot better than it is but I think it was nice and gentle and I was um, a lot happier with it than I could have been even if it wasn't quite what i wanted which was ridiculous super powered silliness i
2: think it, it, it's got to go one way or the other doesn't it because you know when you think about it on on paper it's it's you either just think ah uh, you know what if you got one card that can do three things or four things like uh, it's either gonna have to be like very carefully balanced or just like throw it all out the window sort of like doesn't matter just have a <laughs> laugh um and I, I, I can see that the problem is, you know, that especially within, as we talked about with um a couple of podcasts ago when Tom was talking about Dice Realms, I believe it's, um you know, it's the, the, the problem with medieval generic theming is you can just be like, welcome to the grainiverse. We have grain here and, and farmers. <laughs> and it's just, it's very easy to have something that is balanced, but also then just so dry and dull that it's yeah. like, what is this? What am I doing?
1: And this didn't feel dry. This felt moist dare I say it and one of the little things that I haven't mentioned that is one of the things that makes this whole thing much more absurd is that like there's there's awards for being the first to do something but there's also like a few categories that will score at the end but these come in the form of judges who you shuffle a couple into the deck and you reveal one at the beginning so you've got your Greg Wallace and your Mary Berry You've got these people who are coming to look at what you are doing and check out, and each of them has their own thing. And like, this is really, really bog standard, right? This is just like it points for having the most of something. But because you tuck them into the deck, it's like, oh, a couple of the judges are running late and they'll only show up a little bit through the game. <laughs> and because it's so absurd, the idea that you are actually building town districts competitively, which is something that is absurd in like every town building game you've ever played. But here it's just like, it just leans in and it's just soft and gentle and cosy and I wish it had a slightly better name.
2: That was town builder Coverdon,
0: right?
1: Coverden. Imagine being yep. the
0: worst town out of all of the ones. You chose to live in the town that the judges ranked categorically the least good i mean, that I mean happens. this happens every year there's yeah.
1: always an article in the guardian or somewhere about how whatever town is suddenly the worst in. but it was built as part world.
0: of a competition <laughs> that seems crazy <laughs> like yeah think i mean the...
1: living in the results of a reality tv show about town building right exactly. would be awful and towns do like... take
2: competition seriously i know that much i know that like uh I had to once paint a... I didn't have to. I I was part of a volunteer group to paint a mural for a flower. It was like Britain in Bloom competition for a town I lived in when I was growing up. And it was like I had to paint a big covered of wooden balling. In fact, in retrospect, I can quite clearly see this whole thing was bloody bullshit because what happened was the council had been like well we got this bought hoarding in the middle of the town we don't it doesn't look very nice we need to make it look nice what should we do let's get some kids from the school who are good at painting to come and do it for free (laughs) right as a means of like so we could win this competition so they got some free labor in but then the problem was i was really into wild colors so i was doing these big psychedelic plants with like yellows and purples and it was like properly jarring and all over the place and they were just like no we want pretty flowers but um it's great did it it was up for about two days before they pulled it down it was literally like (laughs) no they've made it worse they've made it they've made it much worse um,
1: I can't believe we managed to circle back to child labour for the second time hey! in the no! podcast. yeah, <laughs> Tom, did you make any children work for you on the moon? I,
0: I promised that we wouldn't go back to child labour and yet here we are on the moon <laughs> <laughs> We've brought the children up to the moon The one thing we didn't want to happen I'm going to talk about Welcome to the Moon Now, this is a sequel to a beloved little Roland Wright called Welcome to... Uh, And in that game, you're planning out a neighbourhood by flipping cards from a deck and using the numbers and the symbols on the cards to fill houses in a little suburb with the twist that those numbers that you put in those houses had to go in ascending order in each of your rows, which got trickier and trickier as the game went along because you just wouldn't have the numbers to hand. But also because each of those little symbols would let you pop a unique feature onto your houses, maybe a pool, maybe a garden, maybe some fences you could divide up your suburb with. And all this would score in unique ways. We've got a review of this on ShutUpAndSitDown.com, on YouTube. You can go and check it out. But then we got a sequel called Welcome to New Las Vegas that was very similar, but it was a bit more complex. And instead, you were planning out casinos. You're putting down limousine routes. You're putting down fountains. It was more complex. We didn't think it was much better, but I was really good at it. That's what yeah. I remember. That's
2: the main thing uh, to remember. The main takeaway, was Tom was <laughs> very good at it. It was fiddlier. It didn't, for me my money, get the things that were the lovely core of the game.
0: But then, yeah. yeah, it didn't seem to resonate with people either. It kind of came and went. It did. It did. It came and went and we weren't allowed to talk about it ever again because I was just too damn good at it. But now we're going to the next logical step. We're going to go to the moon. And Matt, you're going to be disappointed that all the lovely little different kinds of hatching and drawing and whatever that you were doing in Welcome 2 that you liked so much, that's not in this game either. This is pure putting numbers in boxes, crossing off boxes, Maybe crossing off two boxes at once, or maybe even three boxes. But I, I quite like that, and I find it quite satisfying. And I'll tell you about why. Fans of Welcome 2 are going to know what this changes, right? Uh, and the first big thing is this is now dry erase.
2: Ooh, right.
0: how exciting. What? <laughs> but it, it makes sense that it's dry arrays because what you're doing now is not just one regular welcome to sheet that you're going to do over and over and over again. No, 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 no. Now you are playing a campaign of different welcome to sheets that escalate in complexity to show humanity's journey to the moon. There are eight different dry erase boards in this box and each one plays entirely differently. You're getting a new version of Welcome to on each individual board. Hang on and one you- gosh darn second. <laughs> you can't see this at home but uh, there was a lot of eyebrows raised as I was saying those words uh on the podcast. You could hear the the, the skin <laughs> stretching upwards.
2: Yeah, we we'll have to edit that in post. I've got extremely flaky eye s- skin. <laughs> let's, just, let's cut that out. What? I'm just going to go back to what because I think the crucial thing here is that word. Because I'm already thinking there are eight unique boards to draw on. I don't yes. know how I feel about that. Like, how how many people does it play? Does that mean there are like Four. sixteen boards in total? It- now it's double sided it I guess.
0: Yeah, it plays four and all the boards are double sided. Um you that's get two lot of, boards that's in a lot one of boards. board. It's eight. No, it's 16. 16 boards. I mean, Have old... these folks ever heard of acetate? Huh? <laughs> it's like a board <laughs> but it's a small. Yeah. Oh, that would have. Yeah, have four acetate sheets that you clasp over the top of. Anyway, we're getting into consulting here, guys. Yeah. You don't want to get like clasps. I mean,
2: you don't <laughs> want to get clasps
1: in your box. You don't, don't get... If you've got a clasp in your box, you're it already losing now.
2: It exists. It exists. It's not consulting it when it exists.
0: It's just criticism. It's, it's real. They should take out of. They, they they should take a leaf out of a uh, the book of a little game called Roads and Boats. Um, <laughs> but it's <laughs> it <discover laughs> Let me tell film. you, film. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about the core of how this thing works. So the way it works is actually relatively intuitive. Uh, You're always going to be doing the same thing you were doing in Welcome 2, which is flipping cards and writing numbers. The game always ends in the same way. If you can't fill uh, a number into a box for the third time, or if someone's finished all the objectives, the game will end. And you're always going to have to write numbers in boxes going in ascending order, no matter what the scenario is. So there's a rule set that kind of governs it all, but what you're doing with those numbers and symbols shifts. So the first sheet is going to the moon. You fill up a rocket and you score rocket points to fill up a big track and whoever gets to the top of the track first wins which is huge the second board has the journey to the moon and rather than distinct rows like in welcome to uh you have one massive snaking line and you choose where to divide that line into smaller one to fifteen strips and then the third one has you establishing your outpost on like a grid where you have to go in ascending order left to right and and top to bottom, which is hellish. And then you're doing mining, and then you're building cities, and then there's like a plague, I think. I haven't got there yet. There's a lot of variety in the box, basically. And it's really easy to get to grips with and teach because it has that same system throughout. When you need to learn a new system, you have to read like one sheet of rules, and then you know exactly what's going on. It's How does the leaf action work in this scenario? Well, this time you're gonna be circling leaf pods, or this time you're gonna be filling in a leaf satellite or whatever. Um, And I had a lovely time with this. I had a lovely time going through and bashing my head against these puzzles. Some, however, definitely stronger than others. There are puzzles in this that are better boards than maybe even the original Welcome 2. Actually, that's maybe a bit of a stretch. That one snaking line one made me have a real headache and the considerations you have to, the hoops you have to jump through and the considerations you have to make when putting a single number in is just brutal. But the variety is really welcome uh, welcome to when it's so easy to teach. Um, and I feel like this game is like each board feels like the designers pushing up against like the sides of the system. They're sort of seeing what can shift and what can stay, what's kind of fun and what's interesting and what's too much of a headache, I guess. Um, and the boards are super vibrant. It's really nice. It's really fun. It's good. And I would recommend it if you already like welcome to, but I do think you, you, Need to really like welcome to You need to really enjoy rolling and writes Because the core of the game is always going to be Rolling and writing and welcoming and toing
2: Yeah, it's just where are you Where are you going, where are you coming from Where are you going to, where are you coming to How many children are involved in labour is the question
0: Exactly, so far none The child labour expansion hitting, shot, hitting stores Q3
1: 2022 oh, nice, is what nice. I hear That's the um, way it's
2: going to be on the moon If Musk has his way It's the way it's going to be
1: Can I just ask whether do you have to do the campaign for it to make sense or can you just jump in anywhere and just treat it as like oh I played the campaign now I just want to know whether now I just want to play the board that I like the most yes
0: yeah you can jump in literally wherever you want and just play them as standard welcome to boards there is also uh, a choose your own adventure second manual that will determine what boards you're going to play next how's your moon colony going to shape out and it's rubbish uh <laughs> if you're expecting that sort of campaign aspect to really pay off i think you'll be disappointed at least as far as i've gone it has this choose your own adventure style but basically it just says like use objective set a if you pick this choice or use objective set b if you pick this choice and the objectives aren't really that exciting uh i think that and it's not got amazing writing it's just a fancy way of picking your objectives really yeah i think
2: that that um, choose your own adventure booklet as a means of doing a campaign has become a bit of a, a micro niche within the board game scene over the past few years and mostly not a fan of it because it involves reading stuff that isn't really 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 well written and as a rule <laughs> yes i i'm not like a, a a critic of i don't read a lot of books because i'm not good at reading so i, I either read bu- like books that are really good or Social media or uh, labels on shampoo bottles when I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> that's that's what I read. And if you, if, you, if you want to your... take me away from a board game to read something that's like not brilliantly written, especially if you want me to read a lot of it out loud to people, which a lot of these games are like, just read out these 20 paragraphs to your mates. It's like, I'm going to invoice them for that at this rate. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: Are you actually saying that more board game uh, copywriting is generally less interesting than shampoo bottles in the bar?
2: No, I just... I'm, okay. I, I can't... That's compulsive, right? Like, if they could somehow You're a captive
0: out, audience at that point. Yeah. That's why you're, you're reading them.
2: Yes. Like, I will be looking at something at any point, but it's more that you're taking me away from something that is already engaging to do something no, that's less no, engaging. No, no. If they can find a way to put these uh, choose-your-own-adventure components of... of uh legacy or campaign starboard games onto shampoo bottles into my house
0: that i'm in they can work really nicely i think if they're shifting the sort of core mechanics of the game in some way but i feel like the changing boards were already doing that organically it didn't need writing you know you look at the boards and you see this one is a rocket ready to launch this one is the journey of a rocket going through the galaxy this one is the war for space i think that's the last one spoilers it's just it's bizarre that they have this little uh, campaign book. And, you know, maybe there's some really clever stuff in there. I just haven't gotten to it after playing the game four times. I mean, that's fair. I I think that people are puzzling for ways to, like,
2: try and give that sense of, like, longevity outside of, like, legacy. You know, people are trying to... Mm. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that people are trying to work out, like, how can we give this game the idea that you're going to want to play it tons and tons and tons of times without it being something that is inherently, like, disposable and destructible? Yeah. Um,
1: Uh, and it is one of the things though that um trek 12 is uh did a really nice job of putting some stuff in there because it wasn't just like the campaign had no narrative to it whatsoever it was just you can track your score a little bit between three games in a row which turns from a 10 to 15 minute game into an hour long game or maybe a little bit longer depending on which board you're playing with and that's a nice way of doing that right and it doesn't have any extra copywriting it just had this is a way that you can do this but it also had those little achievementy things that are just like oh the first time someone does this you can open this envelope and add that and I'm starting to really like that sort of thing like I don't really go for the achievements thing like when there's a sheet that is just oh you can tick this off when you do this the first time I uh, am not good enough at admin to do that. But when it's like there's a treat attached to it and you get to say to people, oh, and by the way, we've got these. And if you can do any of these, we get to open a new thing. And then the next time we play it, it'll be different. That's really sweet. So I hope that people do lean more in that direction rather than in let's provide some text and a backstory. Because story is hard, right? Like we're being a bit, we're being a bit like. Oh, book copywriting in board games isn't isn't always up to scratch and it's not that that's not anyone's failing. It's just really 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 hard work. Like I can't write fiction and I've been a professional writer for quite a long time and a lot of people are board game designers and they're going to like that's not it's just not an easy thing to jump into. No.
2: Especially because it's tough and the fact that you might have written and you see this a lot actually in thematic games that have writing and often the problem isn't just that it's like not professionally amazingly written It's the fact that people are engaging with your systems and that what they're taking away from it and what they're kind of hooking into might not be the atmospheric and narrative things that actually then you're going to be talking about like and it's smart when games manage to do that but often it's maybe just lucky and the fact that it's like oh we've actually managed to now have like some plotting appeared which is the elements that people are already interested in based on what we've done with the game, and often I just find it detracts from. it. I'm like, oh, leave me alone. I was having a nice, I was having a nice time building up my own little world in this. Now and now you've yeah. decided to start doing a story. Like, what was that? Was it Cla- Cloud Age, the game with the going along through the desert with yeah. the there's a ton of stuff i liked about that game actually to be honest there's a lot of stuff i really liked but it was when it was trying to do little story things in between it's like the elements you think i care about within this are not the elements i care about at all like <laughs> i just want lots of information about these drones going into towns that's that's what i'm about everything else <laughs> <naff> it.
1: <laughs> and that's it give it like storytelling good storytelling when you're doing it in this method is about giving people hooks for themselves to come up with it because then it'll still be rubbish writing probably unless they happen to be a great writing but it won't matter because it's going to be what they've come up with at that table and they will all be laughing because you don't you don't care that's not that's a different thing that you're caring about at that point and that's what makes role-playing games really great even though you normally any role-playing session would be an absolutely atrocious movie is because it's yours and yeah if you can lean into that in narrative design in games I think you are winning
2: yeah yeah and that's interesting that's that's all the, the garden path elements of like it's kind of a lot of what we tried to do with the Monica's expansion uh thing we did with the nonsense box of like basically leading people down a path so they then actually come to a fork in the road where they have a choice of making like two or three different jokes but then doing it in a way that makes them feel like they came up with a joke and they came up with a funny situation where actually you've just, you've walked them down a path and in a way that's like, right now we're going to give you the setup for a joke and you're going to tell the joke and you're going to feel like it's yours. And it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. And it's that that's the thing is like being able to basically seed things in a way that makes people feel like, oh, oh, that's what we thought. It's the same as what we thought. And it's like, yes, it is. It is the same thing you thought because you've been walking down my garden path without realizing it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's why we we all would like to
0: go to the moon. Poms? And that's why we're gonna go to the moon. Yeah, that was that's all in that this that's all in this box. It's not in this box. How big is the box? Welcome to but a bit thicker. <laughs> this is a family podcast, Thomas. It's like it's like I wouldn't say it's as thick as two welcome twos, maybe a welcome two and a and a half.
2: So that's like we yeah, Matt's, to is Matt's pretty, gesturing with yeah. his
0: hands at the moment Making a sort of like like Looks like he's eating a very very wide sandwich It's good
1: It's good <laughs> Listen very carefully to the sounds that Matt's <laughs> mouth makes Right now It's
2: about the the depth of a sandwich that's kind of uncomfortably large To be putting in your mouth It's like you look at it on the plate <laughs> too and you're big like wow sandwich. that's cool But then you start to eat and you're like this is too big It's like an American really go for it sandwich Alright well that's I think that's covered all of my questions <laughs> Matt can you tell us about Equinox Certainly. Equinox is a game that I've been dabbling with for a while now and a video review of has gone up on the website just recently in the last few weeks and you can go and check that out. Now it's silly, it's fun, it features brief appearances from everybody on the team.
0: Ooh. Matt, I Ooh. really, really like that bit where you dressed up as a deer. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
2: I like that bit too, Tom thanks so um what i really like about this game is that it's made by
1: the big knits right
2: the big Niz. it's made by the big Niz. and i am i'm a big fan of the big Niz. but i gotta say the problem is i'm often not a fan of auction games and this kind of has a bit of a trickery going on in the fact that it it sort of feels like an auction game but it it isn't and i don't dislike it which is great because I love running Nitsy games but unfortunately most of the games he really likes to make and most of the games that people think are brilliant I kind of can't be bothered with because I don't like the fundamental mechanics. Now Equinox is a game whereby you have these mythical creatures that are all going to fight one another in a fun light-hearted championship to determine who is the best, who are the best mythical creatures And you are not these creatures. You've got nothing to do with them. They're just on a table and you've got like a set of 12 in the box and you just choose eight randomly and put them all out. You are basically people bidding on them. So it's like dog fighting or something, but for mythical (laughs) imaginary creatures, it's very strange. You're on a car park in Slough. I I don't know what's happening.
0: Uh, It's probably illegal. And a gnome is fighting a toadstool.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's weird. And the fact that it's like, yeah, there's a, a friendly competition going on here. But the game itself, with you bidding on these creatures and trying to determine who's going to be alive and who's not, it feels anything but. It's not a friendly competition. It's it's ruthless. It's mean. It's it's literally causing cute creatures to cease to exist. And I think, again, that's this is my favourite thing about this game, right? We talk a lot about magic rules, about a rule that people just go, oh. and this one is just a thematic rule, is the fact that each round of the game, one of these creatures is going to be knocked out of the competition. And as Part of them being knocked out of the competition they will cease to exist and in my mind that means like they never existed that you literally put a card over their card which is like a big poof of smoke and it's like they're gone and you know never to be remembered don't know what that was that frog that everyone loved he's gone now and he's never coming back <laughs> and i love that i really love that because Crucially, at the start of the game, everybody gets the opportunity to place a hidden bet on any of the creatures based on what they've got in their hand. And that cute little frog ceased to exist immediately, and that means somebody who may be having an incredibly bad time because of that. Is um, <laughs> it's just it's just board game special sauce to me. It really is. How the game works is quite simple. You have a hand of cards, and each turn you're gonna go round and you're gonna play a card. In front of one of these creatures. These cards have numbers on them that go from like 0 up to 10 and when each of the currently existing creatures have a card in front of them in that row, immediately you're going to look to see is any one of these card numbers lower than the rest, and if there is one that is the lowest then bump poof that creature is gone, you move on to the next round and you start placing cards beneath this in another row. And you're going to keep playing until either the deck runs out or until there's basically like three creatures left out of five. Proper, you know, not quite a full battle royale, but not far off. You have this lovely little selection of plastic stones that feel a lot better than they have any right to. That throughout the game you are going to be placing on these different rows of of rounds and have decreasing power and value as the game goes on. So a lot of the game is in trying to like bid quite early, because the earlier in the game you're putting down this limited quantity of things you have to bet on these creatures, then the better the score you're going to get at the end of the game. However, if it's very clear early on that one person in particular really wants something to survive, everyone else is going to try and make it so that their beloved creature just doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> which is um, inevitable. Very funny... Um, no, that's it. It's just inevitable and very funny.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it kind of leads to a situation where everyone is being very coy about what animal or woodland creature they're actually really invested in. So you have this weird sense of someone being like, mm, you know what? I think it's time for frog to go this round. Everyone's going, mm, yeah, yeah, sure. I think I think it's frog's time to be forgotten. And you're there quietly sweating, <laughs> being like, I don't. I mean, maybe not frog this round. Maybe frogs <laughs> to see another day. I think frog. I think I think frogs okay actually. I think Frog's an all round great
2: guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, there's there's uh, there's layers within this. in the fact that, like, yeah, you put down a card in front of an animal in the row that you're currently playing in. But you can put cards on top of other cards, which means somebody else can be like, hey, Frog, I'm going to place a nine on Frog. And you can be like, hey, who's Frog? And you could just overlay that with a one or a zero um, yeah. and just be like, yeah, no, that's a zero now. And that's why sometimes the game ends due to pettiness because people are just like, rather than finishing rounds, they're just <laughs> continually nagging other animals and having to draw up more cards and it goes round and round without anyone actually conclusively closing out the round by placing that card on that final creature that needs one. And I think that I I really like this game a lot. Um because of the fact that it's it's got that nice sweet spot for simplicity. It's not an easy, easy game. It does have rules, um, but there's there's meat to it. There's a bit of bite to it. The theme really shines. Um, it's quite fast. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It feels like it's going to, but then you realize that actually, once you're like two or three rounds in, they just rock it through because there's hardly any creatures existing anymore. And I think that like, it's got a lot of that nice... Classic card game DNA in it, and the fact that you know, the fact that you are drawing up new cards as you go and discarding cards very occasionally, but really, your hand is kind of your hand for the whole game, and th- that leads to some really interesting decisions where you think, Well, I've got this, I've got this ten of frogs in my hand, but like, you know, <laughs> do I want to use that early or save it for later when you know it's going to definitely save a creature in a bad situation? Choosing if you're going to like have some high cards and then be like, well that means I'm gonna back that creature long term, but then choosing when to use them to ensure that you don't actually end up inadvertently getting that creature wiped out of existence because you were just a bit stingy on the card play. There's there's elements to it. There's there's <laughs> there's there's stuff going on with it in that fun card game vein.
1: It is it's also one of these interesting games that like straddles a line between like, the 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 auctioneer, can you assess the value of things, do you know what people are going to do, bluffing and second-guessing. But also leaning into the social, almost social deduction, but not in the way that we normally frame social deduction games of, like, accusations and stuff. But being like, if you can just, like, figure out someone's tells a little bit, if you can just look like you're sadder about things than you actually are when things happen. Like, there's just a little... Like, I think I played up... I think I... The time we play all played this together, I think I played up the fact that everyone thought that I'd been absolutely... Pilloried in the first round, in a way, and then I got and there was another one where and I got stuff and I knew that I still had a chance because I knew what was going on and I knew that people thought that I was out of it and uh, I did manipulate that a little bit and I did just manage to eke out a win at just about I think, um, uh, by just being like, oh no, I'm totally out of this. I'm just gonna do whatever, and um, which isn't always a great vibe to bring to a table, but I think we did it <laughs> all right. <laughs>
2: It's a, it's, a, it's a risky vibe. It's, uh, it's a risky vibe. <laughs> in the wrong hands, it can, it can turn sour. <laughs> um, and I hadn't even clocked that because I, I, I still thought that was genuine. I was like, oh, well, yeah, when I played it with Ava, she didn't enjoy it much because for a lot of the games, she was like, oh, I'm just screwed. Oh, no, no nothing's, Everything's gone bad for me but that wasn't even true you were lying
1: I mean I mean <laughs> like to be clear I did for some of it think that I was going to lose but I started to realize <laughs> that I was all right and I was like oh if I don't let them know that if I if I could stop myself going back to being really excited and into it um but no I, I had fun and I'm sorry that I occasionally bring like a Bring like a downbeat, like defeated vibe to a game. Uh, occasionally, to manipulate people. Wait, am I? Am I? Am I the bad? That's evil. That's that's
2: that's genuinely evil. You're evil. Uh, but well done. It worked. Um, and yeah, I, I played it with more people as well. And when they're playing with a, with a full complement, it definitely becomes less about kind of that individual thing and more becomes that similar to when we talked about um, long shot the dice game. There's an element of kind of silent group think rather than people being like quick everybody kill the frog it's more you starting to clock you're like hang on a minute like there are three people invested in this thing surviving so i'm gonna try and get in on that as well but there's a strange element in the fact that the the returns are always diminishing you know it's like you could be making bids in the last round but they're worth so much less than ones early in the round that you are kind of encouraged rather than just jumping on a bandwagon to destroy other people's bandwagons Mm -hmm. uh which is again Really great. I think my only real big complaint about this game is it's got the bloody big cards in it. I don't know if anyone's listening but over the past few years everyone's really got into making games with oversized cards, with the big tarot style cards or somewhere between that and playing cards. Please just stop doing it. I'm sure that people do it because those games sell better because people like the idea of big cards but you can't shuffle them unless you have double sized hands. Um, Just stop it. (laughs) Like, it's tricky to shuffle the little tiny decks of cards, but, but you know, we can do that because they take up less space on the table and there are benefits to those little things. They're useful. But just if this was normal sized cards, it would fit on a normal sized table. And as it is, it does take up like you can play on a coffee table almost like, but it doesn't even <laughs> quite fit onto a coffee table. And mm. I just think like, come on now,
0: stop it. And that was Matt's Soapbox on the perfect size of card we've apparently found it already and it should never change and watch the video uh
2: you can watch the video of me talking about it it's a very pretty game it's very attractive uh i promise not to take up too much of your time with a delightful video review uh where you can see as tom said me dressed up as a deer at one point was there anything else in the video you really liked tom
0: there was a bit where you were dressed up as a deer there was another bit where you were dressed up as the whole like there's a bit where it pans back and you can see that you've sort of gone centaur mode and you've got two sets of legs that like you you're you've got four legs and two hands <laughs> and you're also a deer right and then yeah there was the there was the and then there's, there's yeah the that, bit,
2: that bit might have been cut i think you saw that in the early thing the cape
0: the cake the cake there's the bit where the uh, cake. clown yes. style clown style someone throws a cake at you from off camera and all the whipped cream goes all over your face and on the walls and floor of your house <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah everywhere yeah. it's just amazing how much of it goes everywhere yeah yeah that that was that was great great video
2: matt i can't wait to watch it again thanks tom thanks the thing is i actually have got a deer costume i can dress up as a deer (laughs) i'm not sure i can do the other things but i will see
1: Believe it or not, that was an entire podcast from the Shut Up and Sit Down people. That's what we call ourselves. Is that what we call ourselves? <laughs> it's been good, though. We tried to rattle through that. We talked about a couple of games, and we will see you again next week. Thank you, Matt Lees. Thank you. Thank you, Tom Brewster. Thank you, Tom Brewster. Thank me, Ava Foxfort, and have a wonderful week. Until the next time we pod, uh, when uh, then things will get worse. No, wait. <laughs> better or worse or the same
2: (laughs) who knows Bye. bye